or Barigapod podcast. This is Dead Cinema Society, a show concerned with the revitalization of cinema out from entertainment. My name is Chris. Oh, welcome to Dead Cinema Society, everyone. Glad you joined us and you're in for a treat today. On this episode, we explore a question that we have asked and partially answered, and that is, do documentaries have a place on our show? Well, we get closer to a fuller answer today with a lively deconstruction of what was certainly the most repellently attractive film of 2012, The Act of Killing. That's it. No more details for you. Enjoy the listen. Head over to our YouTube page, become a subscriber, like a video. Most important, let us know what you think. For now, quiet your mind, open your ears, as we present The Act of Killing. Ooh, strap in, boys. I believe Aaron uh, gets to start this one off. All right, Aaron, start us off. Uh, all right. Let me, uh, uh, let, me, let me get into, Chris, have you um, refreshed? Oh, it's live, baby. Okay, good. Uh, the Killing, The Act of Killing. Um, my God, this is a, uh, a powerful documentary, um, a, a peek into history like you've never known. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting my mind blown this month with, and last month with history lessons. Um, but yeah, this is just a story I knew nothing about and it's horrific and, uh, it's interesting how labels can, be put on a community that will bring another community to feel justified in the act of violence. And um, it's funny how the labels get shifted around. You know, we've had discussions on this show about the red guard and how destructive, you know, that was in China. And now you look at this and it's like, Oh my God, look at what they felt justified to do in the, in the uh, name of, communism in fighting communism um yeah this was a hard film to sit through um but you know i think uh it's a good it's good awareness lesson um so aaron gives this film aaron gives this film a 8.0 nice fair solid solid eight and that's you know there's documentaries we can get into it i don't know if they have a place on the show because to me i don't know if it classifies as cinema it's powerful um but is it are we losing the cinema are we losing the art of showing in a different i don't know we'll get into it so we'll have a conversation about that for sure. Who do you want to pass yeah. it to? I'm going to, I'm going to pass it to you, Yosh. I want to hear what you have to say about this. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. We're going to have an interesting conversation about whether documentaries belong. I know Chris voiced in our text uh, group text that, uh, he doesn't think so. Um, and, and I understand that point of view and I think I agree with it, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Although I will say that this documentary felt more like a film than the Mauritanian felt like a film to me. The Mauritanian felt more like a documentary than this. This felt like a film. 
Um, I know it wasn't, but in some kind of way, it is. And there's a film within the film, too, which is sort of meta. Um, this was very difficult to watch. Uh, cringy. Um, Zuzu's delivering me some strawberries right now. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Uh -huh. Some strawberries because I'm, I'm starving. Um, but it was an absolutely shocking and incredibly made film. Um, wow. I mean, I'm almost speechless in, in what to say. So I think I'll just get to the point and, and give you my score and we'll just talk about it. But Yosh gives the act of killing an 8.4. Okay. Solid. And I pass it to Paul. Yosh, was that higher than your ranking for Mauritanian? You were yeah, more 7.9? 7 7.7 7 for Mauritanian. Okay, nice. Did, did you tell Zoo uh, not to cry when you kill her in half an hour? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm just, it's just for the cameras. Just for the cameras, Zoo. You're so pretty. <laughs> no, you don't have to... You, yeah, no, you, uh, you you did a great job crying when you were acting, but you you're embarrassing me now. Don't keep crying. Did you, did you, yeah. Um. Thank you, Yoshi. Yeah, this uh, uh, I've watched this two and a half times. Uh, like you and Aaron, I will spare my rhetoric for the discussion. Uh, but it is a it's one of those movies that's a solid eight, regardless of whether we believe uh, movies like this belong in DCS, but then in the midpoint of the movie, it adds an emotional chess piece and an intellectual chess piece that vivify for me exactly where this sadism went. And that was what Suriano and his, the neighbor, and I got to make sure I get his fellow executioner's name right, Adi Zulkadri. When they showed up, this movie started to accelerate for me. And like how you talked, Yoshi, about Don't Look Now, I, I wonder if I'm going to rank this higher when I'm done. But for now, Paul gives this an 8.9. Ooh, buddy. Wow. Borderline masterpiece. Borderline. Exactly. I with I, me. I, 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 I almost went that way too, Paul. So I totally okay. understand okay. that. That's Mauritanian. Oh well. Let me go here. So, Let me try this again. No, don't, don't worry about it, Paul. All right, don't worry about it. We got it. Yes. Okay, this should be over. Uh, this movie. It it is it is a tough tough movie to watch, and I'll I'll preface this. Did you guys watch the director's cut? Almost no. There's another hour of this movie. I don't think I could handle that. Yeah, it's it's and and there's a companion piece too. Because they should be watch. I watched I watched the theatrical, the two hour one. Okay. There, there is a there is a follow up where they they focus more on the victims, uh, called the Look of Silence. Uh, my God, I want to see that movie a lot. This movie, and I will get into it. Unfortunately, in my opinion, does not belong on our show. I think that the the truth in this film and the willingness to kind of eschew 
entertainment completely puts it at one of my favorite films that we watch on the show. And with that, even though I said it doesn't belong on our show, I rank this film. See if it goes. Oh. <laughs> Look at Josh's face. I know, because I'm thinking it might have a one in front of it. Ooh, oh, boy. Ooh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Baby, I'm all juiced up on strawberries now. I'm back. <laughs> this film. One for me. Uh, gets sugar. a 9.5 with an asterisk with an asterisk 9.5 chris 9.5 this movie is so good in so many different ways that literally we'll, we'll get into it right now that end scene i have never ever felt that way watching a movie the guy is dry heaving thinking about what he did yes mm -hmm. in the path and finally being confronted with the nature of his inner soul and how corrupt and how black his heart is and he cannot physically stand it and he's just uh, uh, and you're just and they hang on to it for two minutes my god you're absolutely right Preach, baby. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was possessed at the end. Dude, you're just, right. But you did the asterisk. I, I Instead of doing the asterisk, I just took my score down. Because I'm right up there with you guys, yeah. with, with both of you. I'm thinking, like, this thing's like a borderline masterpiece. Yeah. But because it's not, like, a film film, I kind of brought it down a little bit. So so maybe you have a point as to why these I don't do. work because we didn't know how to rank them. So I'll just give you the, the tentative ranking is an 8.7. Wow, that's, that that's where it should be. I think that's I good. I think so as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's high up on our list. Who does that get in front of? Do we have a DCS uh, top ten right now? We'll get it. Yeah. It well, our website because we have our new website. Yeah, the website. Do we? Yeah, yes, the website looks different. Yeah. Is it is it active, Paul? Because I tried going on it earlier. It looks like it's under construction still. Huh. DeadCinemaSociety.com? I mean, it yeah. It does look like it's under construction, but I'm going to just pull up our... For example, I couldn't find our rankings. Yeah, it's, it's just under the society. So the top ten are The Master, Cries and Whispers, The Seventh Seal, City Lights, The Cranes Are Flying, Les Miserables, and Dead Man. Uh, this is uh, tied uh, with Amelie and I'm Thinking of Ending Things. So it's not in our top ten? No. Okay. Ah, wow. Um, wow. So 8.7. Okay. So Chris, let's start yes. with you for sure. Um, mm -hmm. 9.5 with the asterisk. I'll give the floor to you. Yeah. So this movie is not a, is not a piece of cinema. It is a documentary in my opinion, uh, but it is a documentary in the way that I, I, I again, I'll, I have never seen this movie. And I think Werner Herzog kind of, toes the line and and it, i i watched a ton of interviews after this because this film and I, I needed to know more about it i needed to learn the history so basically the way that this film got the mass release that it did is joshua opperheimer was at a party in london and heard Werner herzog was there and is like i need to talk to you about this film and he's like yes uh, talk to me tomorrow morning at breakfast and instead of talking to Werner herzog he pulled out a laptop put it in front of him and played eight minutes of footage. And Werner Herzog just threw money at him, apparently. And was just like, this movie needs to be seen by everyone ever. Well, Joshua knew his audience then because this feels right up Werner Herzog's yes. alley where it's like, 
almost like a dark, unintentional comedy of exposing a sort of sickness of society, of culture, of people, of humanity. Because yep. this is the some I, I I almost forgot that Werner didn't make this when I was watching it. You know, it feels like something he would make. Continue. So this movie, and he goes into the it toes the line between documentary and fiction. This is a surreal documentary, and it's because with the documentary, and this is something that it, it's it's heated in the in the, the the documentary kind of club or whatever you want to call it. Of do you interact with the world as a documentarian? Some people do. They interview. They talk. They force a narrative. Some people Ver- don't. They, Werner does that, right? Werner does that a lot. Uh, some people sit back and then just tell you the truth. Werner Herzog says you should not be concerned with facts in a movie. If you're just showing facts, it's not a it's not a great movie. If you're just retelling the story as it is, point for point, why make a movie about it? The thing with the Mauritanian, the thing that you brought up is just like, yeah, it just, it just feels like I'm, I'm watching how it played out. It's just boring. Right. With this my God, the surreal aspect of like they're filming this scene, then they're watching it, and he, you're kind of getting his response of like, "Oh, I did that. Yeah, I didn't wear that shirt. I never wore white pants when killing or anything." And you're just like, "Holy shit!" Like he's just like laying it all out there, going into it. The productions of like the film itself, and like the dancing that they do, the coaching they, they give. When you think, when they think the camera's off and it's still on, they're kind of like, yeah, this is great. I love being on a set. It's weird. The interviews with like other people as after they go back to like wherever they're from, it is, it is, it never, it, it never tells you where it's going. And every turn it takes is a road of despair and melancholy at the same time. So are you offering that the director that Oppenheimer interfered in some kind of way that he was making painting things as if they were fact when they were really fiction or did he not do that? I don't think that we know and I don't think the people they know either because like in their head they are the heroes. Victory grants you the ability to write history as they talked about and as they brought up in the film if if the Nazis had won there would be films like this about the Nazis. If, you know, I mean, we have our own uh, things with the American uh, Indian population of, you know, we don't we don't get, you know, genocide courts or anything thing like that. We don't get judged for that. They're absolutely right. But do they believe that they're wrong? Maybe one person definitely does not. He's like, no, I was it was war. Yeah. You, are you going to put me on trial? Bring me to Geneva. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to go there, get a free trip. Yeah, there's the scene where the neighbor, what's his name, Paul? You mentioned him at the top. Uh, Surya. Surya, Suriana, Sereno, Suriano. Yeah. Yeah, there's that scene where he's driving in the car and Oppenheimer is like, you know, but, you know, you you killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, uh, And then he he sort of goes on that rant, right, about how, like, well, you know, what about the American government? What about Cain and Abel? Like, wh- what murders are we judging here? Because if so, there's some hypocrisy into your sort of uh, trying to paint me as the bad guy. Because look at your own country. Look at what Bush did with the Geneva. Look at uh, Guantanamo Bay. You know, yep. it's so funny that he brings up Guantanamo Bay um, because he's like, you know, like who, who everyone's doing this stuff. Everyone's murdering everyone kind of thing. And yeah. he's right. It doesn't justify their actions, of course, but it's just it's an interesting moment in the film. There's a lot to unpack here 
but Chris, I think we'd be doing the audience a disservice if we sure. didn't quickly just unpack the history of it a little bit. Do you, do you, do you mind sort of yeah. framing a, a conversation around that? Yeah, so in 1965, the far left-leaning uh, socialist uh, government in Indonesia uh, was perceived as weak and as kind of... Um, you know, letting other countries kind of take their resources and the military was losing power. So the military had a coup and uh, won, took over the country. Uh, and then uh, because it was the 1960s and we were now let me pa afraid. let's pause yep. because let's be let's make this clear. What was the state of Indonesia pre-coup? Like what was living there like mm -hmm. it, with their government? Pretty terrible. Uh, okay. the, the government wasn't. I mean, and also you have to think of the the geographical makeup of Indonesia. It's an archipelago. Yeah. It's yeah. a ton of islands. There's a ton of tribal stuff. There's a ton yeah. of gubernatorial stuff. Indonesia at that point had been colonized. It had been raped for resources. They finally had gotten independence post World War II, and this socialist government had been coming in order. And obviously, proximity to China, proximity to Soviet Union, communism was starting to spread. Uh, the apparently weak government couldn't keep people in check and so there was this like in many fascist regimes a paramilitary organization sprung up uh young men who were dissatisfied with the country's orders not feeling strong feeling weak feeling dejected turned to crime and turned to violence and you had all of these gangsters rise up it just so for happened for example mm -hmm. sorry to keep interrupting for yeah, example yeah they didn't even have access to watching whatever movie they wanted to watch. So there really was this sort of dictatorship uh, quality to the government. Yes. And then the uh, obviously the coup happens. The military essentially gives free reign and in some cases, in many cases, uh, assists in the ethnic cleansing of anybody they deem not uh, a part of the state. So this is ethnically Chinese people, communists, intellectuals, teachers. Basically, if you had anything to do with anybody in the government, they killed you. Uh, and this is either Soviet Union out, shit. Uh, well, you can, even, you can even go back and say, you know, uh, communist China. You could say uh, the Nazis. Uh, basic, I mean, fascism, uh, despite what people like to think, follows kind of a handbook. Mm -hmm. You have a weak central government, you have a military or a far right leaning organization that promises to bring in strength, to bring in order. You have a misguided youth that you can weaponize. And then you start taking out people who oppose you. So intellectuals, people who breed discourse, uh, a scapegoat party. So the ethnically Chinese in this case, like it's, it's nothing new. We've heard this a thousand times and you can swap out the names and the genders and everything in there. And it will always it will always come back to the same thing. People try to seize power through force and then tell a narrative to themselves that makes them feel good at night. How involved was America with the coup? Oh my God! It's I I did because they don't they they bring it in they bring it up. Well, they barely bring it up, which well, I they think barely is, bring it. Up. A, this is a disservice to the filmmaker, I believe. But go so, ahead. faced with the spread of communism, the United States, like it has done so many other times, funded in part the military. So we backed the military of this uh, country and in, in, in the Indonesian military through giving them arms, through giving them money, through giving them radios, which with they could coordinate the attacks. And then to top it all off, CIA operatives gave lists of names associated with the Communist Party. So imagine this. 
the the military takes over the country and now everybody who's a registered democrat is put on a list that's what it's like just like that just like that and so what would what would be how can we correlate that to say like our own our own our own country yeah so i mean we're going to get political like, paint, paint, this, paint the scenario as if that was to happen here right now so trump's uh, Trump's coup on the January 6th takes hold. He, the military backs him. He seizes the government. There are lists that go out of Nancy Pelosi's killed. Any any high-ranking Democrat is killed. Anybody registered with the Democratic Party, if I donate to Bernie or if I put on my Facebook that, you know, Bernie bros for life or whatever, I'm killed. Uh, the government is essentially defunct at that point. Trump becomes a god king. And we go from there. And this is what and this is what happens. And unfortunately, they never got charged with anything. Or you could paint the opposite picture. Um, anyone who doesn't get the vaccine, their phone suddenly stops working. Yeah, you, you could say that, too. I mean, it, it could go either way. It could go either way. Oh, I'm just giving you the analogous of, of sure, sure, know, sure. right wing to right wing. And let's not get too far down this rabbit hole. Um, so continue. Where, where are we at here? That's, I mean, that's pretty much it for that example. That's, that's the history. That's the history lesson there. Yeah, I mean, so, it's... so, so this is something that I would hope that we can maybe touch on here because the sort of Western, one of the big things I walked away from after watching this film was the Western influence, the Western touch as to how how and why all this happened. So you have the literal Western influence financially weapon re, weaponry of actually helping this coup to happen to begin with so there's so our so our country's blood is on is on the um is on their hands as well but then also just the influence of western film and cinema and so i'm curious if martin scorsese has, has seen this film and what he thinks about it for example because one of the major sort of tropes of of this documentary i found was that these guys it may it remind me of holy motors where and there's an interesting scene in the documentary where they're on the talk show right and they're they're talking about oh no it's not the talk show sorry it's when it's when they're on the stage and they're talking about how like it's like a soap opera and nobody really believes in the movement nobody really believes in the ideals but everyone's sort of being paid to be there and and they're all just kind of putting on a performance um but secretly deep down nobody really believes in this shit and they're just kind of like you know there because they're being paid to be there do we not remember this this moment the 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 rally with the paramilitary organization right the vice president of indonesia puts on the coat of of the organization yeah 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 and and they're kind of like these dance the main characters are kind of like dancing and and then congo is his name but who, I forget who's narrating that part, but they're like, look around. Like, none of these people actually believe in any of this. They're just yeah. like, most of them are paid to be here. They're just kind of like putting on an act. Um, but basically what I'm getting at is like everyone, all these characters in the film just want to be actors. They want to be performers on a stage. And they're influenced by these Goodfellas type movies that they're seeing in the cinemas. And they just want to be these gangsters. And so... Like Holy Motors, like everyone just wants to be a sort of performer, and yet there's no audience. And also, they seem to be sort of dis, 
um, what would the word be? <clears throat> like disassociated with reality in the sense that they don't understand the real consequences of their actions. Like they think that they're just like these characters in a movie and they can walk around just slitting throats and killing people and acting like gangsters and like they don't they're not really connected to what they're doing. And then there's this sort of like reverse like un uh, un um planned psycho magic therapy session that unfolds by them recreating the killings they're almost performing therapy on themselves without even intending to and then they sort of like realize through the mo making of the movie what they did do they is well, the question is is that performative too Oh, interesting. Yeah. Are they are they, you know, trying to say like, yes, I I know this was wrong because they're getting filmed and they don't want to be monsters. Yep. Like interesting. That's something that Herzog brings up in, in the interviews that I've watched. It's like, yeah, how how far of this is, is real? Like, is this performative as well? But as maybe maybe as they like start to see like, ooh, this is bad. This is real bad. Because like even in that in that scene that they're filming where they film the recreation of the house burning, the guy gets on the bullhorn and he's like, We weren't this bad though. So maybe like keep that one just to see like we can be that bad, but like let's tone it down a little bit, guys. See, that's why I don't think it was performative by them, because I don't think that they understood what footage was gonna be used. I think that they really thought they were just making a movie. I don't think that they Hey, hey. UCS alum. Yeah. And the cat's name is? Mandu. This is Mandu. Mandu, I love yeah. it. Yeah. How is Mandu? And she has she <laughs> understands Indonesian history equally well, Chris. She oh. has followed it, you know, the movement from, you know, getting released from the Dutch shackles in nineteen forty five or forty six. I think it's in her essay to us. And she said, you know, how the this country worked towards nationalism. And I was like, that's brilliant, dear. She goes, there's a lot of things that need to be considered about the regime prior to Sudarko, Sudarko, Sid, Sid, Sudarto taking over. I was like, yes. Yeah. So she wanted to come over and mention that. So that was Mandu's contribution. Thank you, Mandu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry, I kind of ranted there, but let's, let's, let's bring this back a little bit into an actual conversation. The, the film opened up with a quote from Voltaire. Did you guys yeah. see that one? It is forbidden to kill. Therefore, all murderers are punished unless they kill in large numbers and due to the sound of trumpets. Which is hilarious because that's, I believe that's from Candide, which... I think it is. Yeah. What, what a quote to put before this movie. Mm. Did you not like Candide? Oh, no, I love Candide, but it, 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 yeah, it, it, it presents the film as, as sarcasm. <laughs> right, right. So what do you think the filmmakers' perspectives are then, Chris? Oh, I, I, th I think that, I mean, because they, so the, the way that they filmed this movie, so they went to uh, Indonesia to try to talk to the victims. They had no intention of speaking to the killers at first, but as they were going around talking to victims, the Indonesian military actually came in and was like, yeah, you can't talk to these people. They started intimidating people. There's scattered reports of victims that they had talked to getting murdered or accidentally falling somewhere and so one of the victims came forward and said hey you might actually get the story from one of the torturers here's a list of names 
go find them. And sure enough, as soon as they pop up and like say, hi, I heard you murdered a bunch of people. They're like, yes, you want to see how I did it? Uh, the, the concept of reenacting it was actually brought to them by Anwar, by that guy. That wasn't their wow. plan. Like they didn't plan that. He was just like, oh, do you want to see how I did it? And then, then he was like, well, I got to do it again because like, I, I didn't really capture how it was. And so as they were interviewing more and more and more people, that idea of like, we're making a film, we're going to be heroes. And as you said, we're going to be gangsters. Isn't that great? We get to see what great things that we did back in the day. And that just came out of them filming them. Like there wasn't a like, hey, we're doing this thing. Can you reenact this? It's just like, no, they came up with that on their own. Which is so, Aaron bonkers. Aaron, do you think which side did you see it on? Because I didn't see Chris's perspective of the possibility of, for example, the ending scene where he's like not puking, but it sounds like he's puking. Like you know, he's sort of like dealing with the repercussions of of remembering everything. And yeah, uh, did you did you side more like this was an unintentional sort of therapy session, or was it all performative? Uh, I'm with you, Yosh, where I think this is a unintentional psychotherapy session um, to the point where he is actually building awareness to what he's done. Uh, PTSD, if you will. I mean, we were watching a, a, a case unravel in front of us. I mean, this is something like a, a therapist or a psychoanalyst would deal with with a serial murderer, you know where they have no qualm about what they did and it makes a lot of sense. But then it's like, if you can build awareness into this unconscious human being, they start to really reflect on what they did. And it's, it's a severe case of PTSD. And I think we're watching that unravel in the end. Almost. I mean, if you want to get a little spiritual, it's, it's almost like watching a real life possession um, you know, I don't know what you guys believe in, but that would, that looked like a possession to me. And if you think of the thousands of innocent, um, cold blooded killings, this man has done, I mean, he is haunted by those traumas. He's haunted by those souls. I mean, that's, that's energy. You're, you're taking human life and, uh, that doesn't just dissipate. And I think many years he's he's built a story in his mind that kept him safe and contained. But once he started pulling on these things, you know, what's very interesting is he started watching the film back on his little TV with his his grandkids on his lap. Like, how fucked up was that? But while he's watching himself commit these acts, he's like, hey, watch, watch grandpa get tortured. Watch me. And it's like he's slowly like, oh, like, wow, oh, yeah, I, I did that. And it's kind of, you can just see the torturous thoughts popping in his head. And he's taking on all that pain that he has subdued over years. I mean, we're watching a psycho case unravel. I mean, this isn't, I don't think it was put on. I think this man is deeply disturbed. Um, and I wouldn't even be surprised if now in 2021 he's in a mental institution or committed suicide i don't know where this guy is but he we're watching a real life uh case uh i i don't know yeah that's all i got to say about that this thing was intense he died in 2018 
Oh, he did. He commits suicide. Was suicide. I don't think he did. But I think it yeah, was. Uh, I've been wrong yeah. today. So yeah. No. No. Yeah. Well, it could have been a, a, a you know an un, unintentional suicide via alcohol or something like that. You know, it could have been a yeah. slow suicide. Um, yeah, he might have killed it. You know, he might have taken it upon himself. I I really think we watched somebody unravel their mind, unravel all the things that protected them to justify what he did. So Alejandro Jodorowsky developed a psycho. Oh, we lost Yosh. Can you hear me? Yep. I can hear him. So Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, DCS alum Alejandro Jodorowsky, developed a psychotherapy called psychomagic that's largely based around like the ideas of Carl Jung, where the idea is to help the patient, you have them act out or relive the traumatic experience they're trying to sort of um, work through. And that is sort of what I took away from what was happening with these characters where by the act, this is the genius of it is because it was all like meant to be right. Like nobody really like made this happen, but by the act of reliving their past, they thought they were going to be like you guys have illustrated sort of glorifying what they did and creating this movie that is going to, you know, help justify their actions of the past. But the unintended consequence of that was this sort of psycho magic where by reliving it, they, for the first time, got a glimpse of what it might have felt like to be the victims of their crimes. And so you, we see this most beautifully put and, and illustrated when he has to be uh, – when he's in the torture scene, like when, when he has to be choked and he's just like, and there's many moments throughout the film where, where they're recreating things where it shows Anwar watching, even if he's not in the scene. And you can see that he's just like conflicted because part of them are like, you know, celebrating it. But the other part of them are like deteriorating before, before our eyes. Like they're like literally like, what are we doing? And there's like moments where like, when they're singing the songs together, for example, you can kind of see that like they're usually always miserable, but just because there's cameras there, they're trying to behave as they behaved in their 20s, for example, and they're like trying to re like bring back that spark that they used to have. But really, they're just like becoming more and more aware throughout the process of making this film how fucking crazy they are. I love the scene uh, right after the songs. Where after they've done the reenacting for the day and they're just like lounging and that big old fat guy is talking about raping 14 year olds and yeah. even they're like buddy maybe don't talk about that on camera and you're like that's the line I'm yeah. sorry you've killed thousands of people and you're like oh this guy's a real asshole if you're talking about raping 14 year olds I'll never do that like motherfucker you are a mass genocide person come on Man. Yeah, but he, you know, it's interesting because he, it's funny because I I felt like, you know, for me, the emotional, um, that's why Anwar for me was like the emotional center of this movie because we watch uh, what the Pansali leader, uh, if I've got, if I got the name right, um, you know, objectify women, you see his, uh, you know, one of the leaders, you see his obvious sexual uh, predation, um, we He's very dismissive towards women. You see this sort of uh, this hunger, bloodthirst on the part of, you know, this youth movement that's going to, you know, protect Indonesia. 
And as Chris said, you know, trying to protect an archipelago, good luck with that one. Um, but it was at no point does Anwar put on one of those, you know, sort of tiger print orange unis and, and stroll around in it. So he is distanced from it. His oh, no, fat friend is distanced from it. You know, they're in, uh, you know, they're always in color. You know, it's always like, you know, his, you know, when he comments on, on, um, uh, you know, look at me, I'm wearing, uh, I'm, uh, White I'm pants. Wearing, I, wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't be wearing white pants. You know, whatever he's wearing, it was like the Hawaiian print or a floral print. I mean, it was like, oh, it kept us. I was like, oh, okay, you're you're the core of this movie for me. I love that. And then I just the contrast with Anwar sleeping, and then we we layer in a businessman showing us how he rapaciously took all this land and basically has you know this a museum of of exotic, expensive curios from all over the world. And we go back to Anwar and he's sleeping. And you can just imagine he's digesting this dream into his head. Like, look at my life now. I'm still a peasant living in a village. Here's my last chance for some seeming redemption or to get the popularity that I so richly deserve because maybe I was marginalized by this editor whose finger I'm pointing at. Again, that's what they were all looking for was like, okay, we're saving our country from these crazy communists. Well, yeah, but the crazy communists saved you from the effing Dutch and they, you know, and they try to nationalize things and try to get you into a sort of a monocultural society. That didn't work too well, but they tried. You know, it's, it's like if we watch the theater of Central America play out, you know, in the 80s, it was like, OK, my Contra, my Sandinista. I understand the Sandino regime and why it was there. But it's this this plays out all over the world. I think we started the top of this show with like these these are the theatrics that play out. And for the for one of those rare times, we get to go behind the curtain of like mass genocide at a time when President Biden is going to recognize the Armenian genocide, which for some might be lost. But for those of us here in Southern California with what the largest Armenian population outside of Armenia, it might get someone like myself to you know, to delve into what Armenia once looked like, this land that stretched from one body of ocean to another body of ocean, how over time it just got constricted and constricted with politics and warfare, et cetera, et cetera. These, this plays out all over the world. And we were given a glimpse, thanks to a brilliant documentarian and those good old Danes who just do the, they, where they, this was just, it was just beautiful. It was all those ifs, you guys, you performative was wonderful. It's a great question to ask Yoshi. And I'm glad that I think Chris brought it up, but it was performative. It was educative. It was illuminative. I mean, this is something where you go, you want to delve. I mean, if you want to delve into Pacific history, like there's more to Pacific history than a Korean war and the Okinawa and blah, blah, blah. There's like, like Chris, you were, right on at the top of this show to outline what Indonesia is. The dialects alone, I think it's 65 plus dialects in that country. And I mean, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating for wow. someone like yourself and for hopefully for the, the two or three people in our audience who have like some interest in history. This is it because we're not going to watch. We're not watching a documentary. We're going to watch a lot of actors from now until the day I die and you all die, recreate the Holocaust umpteen times, but we're never going to get a glimpse to get, again, arguably the sadism or whatever you want to call it of mass genocide like we captured here. And it was just, it was breathtaking. I want that to build was, off of that. Oh, go ahead, Ayush. No, you build off the Chris, but I just want to say that's a great point that you bring up, Paul, about how Anwar 
didn't necessarily have any monetarily monetary gain from the genocide, whereas some others did. And he's still just a peasant, and so he's still seeking retribution and uh, sort of like uh, you know a, a, a sort of slap on the back, if you will, for what he did for his people. You know, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to something that Paul said. It was the and I lost it. Shit. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. Cool. No, 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 it's cool. Paul was but, talking about how. Uh, oh, so the subject of the documentary is the people that did the thing. Like, this is why I don't think it's a film. Like, it is a documentary because of the the people involved. They are so ingrained, and this is their truth. This is literally what they did. Like, I don't want to watch a film that has you know some some indonesian actor performing these as a you know uh, uh, a 90 minute mm. you know snooze fest where they interject some sort of romantic subplot into it too i want to watch this film as tough as it is and as hard as it is to watch this movie but i i don't even know where you go on, on subjects like this like God forbid we have any sort of other mass genocides happen. I mean, we could talk about the Uyghurs too, but we, I don't want to make this a three hour show. Uh, but uh, I don't think we'll ever see that again uh, of people who are so willing to tell you the crimes that they told they did in the name of whatever. No, you're right. This feels like a very like special insight that won't ever happen again. That, we that humanity is sort of it's like it, again it feels like the, the stars align for this to ever happen you like you said at the top this wasn't even intended it's just sort of like it was meant it was a story that was meant to be shared with with humanity um and i and i think you're right about not bringing documentaries in because this how do you judge this because it just feels perfectly done how could yeah. you do it any better it just it's like perfectly done it's like a it's like just a documentation of something that was happening. Um, and they did it perfectly. So how do you rank this? So maybe in hindsight, we won't even include this uh, on our website at the end of the day, but asterisks. Uh, yeah. Asterisks maybe um, that a scene that, that I can't get out of my head speaking about performances, the actors that they hired, the one actor in particular, this, this, this man um, who is like crying and like, boogers are coming out of his nose um, when they're torturing him and they're like, like, you know, interrogating him. And then it cuts to Anwar and his neighbor and they're watching on in disgust. It's these little moments that were like so powerful to me where like the reenactments, the, the performances given by the actors were so good that it left the, you know, the Anwar's of the film to sort of be taken aback by it and be like, wait, what are we doing here? Like the actors, how did they get those actors to be such good actors? Like, what was that? They just did it. I, I have a feeling that like, they actually just burned down a house. Like they didn't, they didn't ask the people to burn down. They probably just did. But that one guy was an actor, right? The guy I'm talking about. I don't think he was. Cause you remember the scene, like when they're in that studio and he starts talking about like, Oh yeah, one of my family members was taken one day and it was, you know, we shot and we asked about him and he said that he fell out of stairs. But then I went and I found him out behind my uncle's yard. That was his father, dude. That was his father. Was stepfather, stepfather. Okay. Stepfather. Yeah. And he's, he's just like, oh, yeah, we found <laughs> him. Oh yeah. It was crazy. But no, but then, but then he went on to say a little bit later, he went on to say like, you know, 
I'm not unaware of how cruel we were. We were, we were more cruel than the communists. He says that like, you know, in the next sentence. But I think that's him trying to not to get killed. Cause yeah, he basically he, said like, you killed my dad. Smile. Yeah. And he's just like, ha ha ha. Everything's right. Right. Jeez. <laughs> everything's good. Right. We're oh doing God. things are, where was that fish? You know, that fish scene that kept. Oh yeah. Plastering on the, I mean, it was such a, gorgeous image that wasn't a backdrop or was it was that a natural shot of indonesia i don't know yeah, what that fish was. sure what that was i don't think they have the resources to make a set like that i mean you know look at the waterfall set the waterfall yeah. set was so <laughs> cheesy and he's like getting redemption he's like i really like how oh. i feel right now and, and like, <laughs> they, they hand him a medal Thank you for yeah. killing me. You sent me to heaven. Thank you so the much best. for I sending cry. me to heaven. I owe you. I owe you so much. The way yeah. you killed me it was perfect. That's like, it's like, oh my god, oh my god. That's like um, an embrace of the serpent. You know, the guy who claims to be Je like Jesus resurrected in, in the in the cult. That's like that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, you know, it's like everybody wants to be the savior figure when they're given the opportunity to. Did this movie remind you guys of any other film we've seen before in our, on our show? Maybe a Korean one? Train to Busan? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, maybe with Western culture being the reason why everything's falling apart. Imitating Western culture, movies, music, four hours long. Like Taiwanese class. That wasn't that wasn't Korean. That was Taiwanese. Taiwanese. I'm so racist. I'm so. Oh, racist. the okay. summers, the summer day. A brighter summer's day. A brighter summer day. The reason I was asking guys because I couldn't remember what it was called. Oh, good. Yeah. Brighter summer's day. Yeah, but you know how in Chinese that movie. movie... <laughs> oh man, I'm, ter I'm terrible. I already have to bleep a bunch of shit, so we're good. Okay. Um, yeah, especially with Aaron's background too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a flag. <laughs> you are pain, just... painfully American right now. Um, we are all painfully American right yeah, now. Yeah, that's good. That's a good comeback. We're painfully American. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, no, but the, the, are you guys connecting with me on that one where it's like in how in that film <clears> – <throat> All the characters, you know, were like, kind of like they wanted to be like Elvis or they wanted to be like gangsters. And they, they were sort of – remember how we had a conversation about yeah. how he didn't even realize what he was doing when he killed his girlfriend? Like they were yeah. just like so desensitized to violence because they were sort of – they were indoctrinated into this Western culture through films and music that yeah. they were trying to inhabit that. And it's the same thing with these gangsters uh, of this film. They were – they they were like trying to like be these like celebrities these famous actors they were like acting they weren't really aware of what they were doing yeah it's interesting what uh we don't realize what cinema and video games and stuff of that nature that are overly violent um we don't know what that does to the psyche of you trying to make a violent video game argument bro I mean, let's let's look at some of these examples. Shut the fuck up, Aaron. All right. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. Zuzu. One of Zuzu's <laughs> predictions for this conversation was that you, Aaron, was going to say that. See, this is the repercussions of glorifying violence. 
Mm, and I, I can agree with it. I mean, look at, you know, we can sit here and say, oh, that didn't affect me. Look, I turned out all right. But then you look at some of these cultures where they get, you know, hey, we get five movies a year and they're all gangster films. And now we're, you know, walking around acting like the Al Pacinos, like in real life. And, yeah, and they literally said they learned how to kill through watching gangster movies. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, no, but we actually did it much worse. We we kind of improvised like that was just Hollywood stuff. You should see the stuff we did. It's like, oh, my yeah, like God. like killing someone by sticking wood up their anus until they died. Yeah. Like, oh, what? Like, dude, that's sadistic. It really is like there's 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 energies going on here that are beyond what the eye can see like this is straight sadistic shit that is overtaking the world yeah so i mean we are desensitized in a way and we we have this this uh we have this ability to see many many films and kind of put things into perspective and govern ourselves and morality and all these things but i mean these movies do have an effect on the human psyche especially if you're given the right tim um what is that timber or the right tinder uh what's that flint flint tinder you're given the right tinder of society you're given the right circumstance i mean look at i mean this is ultimate destruction i mean it is fueling um just uh, evil on the deepest level i mean so, you know, I love movies and I love, sure, I love action films and Al Pacino and all that. But, you know, hearing these guys uh, uh, hero, you know, idolize this, it's very apparent. Like, wow, this this can have a, a very a psychic effect on children. This can have a psychic effect on certain uh, cultures. And know? when And when is that going to become a conversation we have it in the public square where – we are going to be more responsible um, and aware for the unintended repercussions our decisions may have. So, for example, you might be a Hollywood director making a movie and you might not even be aware that just the small decision to try to make some money off of this cool action flick is going to, in 20 years, cause 20,000 people to die somewhere. You know what I mean? Like everything's connected in this weird way and we don't have these types of conversations. We're not even aware of how the matrix is connected in that way and how a decision in America can kill a hundred thousand people in another country. You know, like th th that's the strangeness of all this. Yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting that our culture is unidirectional, right? <laughs> I'm not lifting from a third world country. I'm seeing, you know, that it's uh, that it's, it, and it was funny and I don't think it came up, there was no finger pointing at the U.S. We're just saying, hey, that was our influence, and this is the way we became, and uh, it, it, it taught us a very convenient, efficient way to kill, and then we modified it because, you know, we're not just peasant farmers. We know when a human body starts to stench real bad, we've got a really cool way of desensitizing our nostrils and the people around us, and off they can go to some, you know, put them in some burying field or killing field, whatever it might be. But at no point was it like, oh, you U.S. I mean, obviously, Joshua's, you know, U.S. born. I think he's uh, but has lived in, in, in the U.K. But there was no finger pointing like, oh, it's all your fault, which is you make. So you make a really good point, Yoshi. Like it, this just we create something and it goes out because our culture is the one that they want to capture, uh, certainly today in all, in all the uh, 
the media availability that they have anywhere in the world, phone, TV, radio, whatever it might be. They want what we're selling. Well, how about culture has a lot of sadistic mentalities to it. You know, it's like in filmmaking, people are obsessed with Chainsaw Massacre and like, what's the darkest thing we can put on, on cinema? What's the, what's the most evil shit? What's the darkest shit I can think of? Let's make that cinema. And people are obsessed with it. They, they're sadistic in nature. They, they're the, there's people that are going to the cinema to feel something. That's why they want to see chainsaws and gore and all this stuff. There's something in them celebrating that sickness in society. That's, that's a deep sickness. And, you know, if you can't recognize that and you like those films, you know, you, you also need to do some deep search in yourself. What is sadistically, what, what are you serving inside of you by wanting to watch those movies? I'm not saying you want to perform those acts, but you have some sadistic, something is feeding uh, sadism in your soul. So, you know, this is dangerous shit and we like to play it off like it's, it's not, you know. I think that's widely reductive and uh, very short-sighted. Go on. And I think you're wrong. Go on. Because violence has existed in our cultures for millennia, as far as we can back as we can go. You look at the most popular selling book, it's full of violence. It's full of a guy who turns over tables, uh, a person the who Bible. gets the five the Bible has a ton of violence in it. I of course you know what? no one ever talks about the violence in the Bible. No one ever talks about the violence uh in Roman Colosseum. No one ever talks about the violence is inherent to our nature Dude, the because we're animal. But let me ask you this, Aaron. Yeah, but the, what are you the, doing tonight? I'm I'm watching violence, Chris. Exactly. Oh, shit. oh, this is crazy. So crazy, is that, is that feeding Chris? your sadistic nature or is it giving so. you an avenue to get that sadistic nature out? <coughs> Seeing is violence is does not make one violent. It is when you choose to disassociate and choose to reenact what you are hearing. I completely disagree, even though I did it as a joke before, that uh, video uh, games man. cause violence. And there have been studies. And if you look at all of these studies, not just the shit that, you know, John Kerry and whoever is pulling out of a political dumpster, it does not include include violence because the highest selling video games are related to sport, are related to community building. Yes, you can always say that a shooting game is going to get people more interested in guns. I'm not saying that. You're you're going to ingratiate yourself in the things that you are interested in. But to simply say that media and giving people the access to it makes them more violent is simply untrue. You're acting like there's no correlation between the psyche and what is shown, what is subliminally into our minds, what we're soaking in, especially in different cultures. And, and you want to drag in the UFC to this? I'd love to. Sure. To me, the, the UFC is that I am watching art. I'm watching discipline. I'm watching a controlled environment where we have referees. And yes, there's violence. Yes, people get hurt. But I'm watching years of dedication, years of mastery. I'm watching something, a chess game, a body chess game unfold. And more than just uh, physical violence, I'm watching great minds move. I mean, the UFC and like a violent video game or a violent movie like these are completely different things to me 
How many uh, news reports do you see of fights going on at bars after UFC fights? Because one guy thinks that he can throw a mean right hook, and the other guy thinks he's a pussy. Yeah, but those people aren't watching it for the right reasons. They're not watching. They're it watching for, it though. What's the difference? They're not watching it for the same reason that Aaron is pointing to, which is they're the watching it. What's the difference? Well, they're taking on their drinking. They're taking on spirits. Yeah, they're, they're they have their own internal them problems. Themselves, yeah, which it is already there. It is not unlocking. Yeah, which triggers. Dude, I sit down with a glass of ice water and I watch six hours of UFC, including prelims, because I am dissecting the the art of jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. I'm watching how people are countering punches. I'm watching movement. I'm watching mentality, pace. I mean, there's so much going through my mind, and none of it is like, oh, man, I hope this guy's nose breaks into his face. You know, like, But there are it, people who think that. Of yeah, course. of course. So why shouldn't but, we shut down the UFC? I, I don't see the argument here. So if we're going to watch violent movies and if violent video games are going to make our kids more violent, we should stop making violent video games, right? But that's saying like you shouldn't go to karate class because it's violent. You shouldn't learn exactly. to defend. That is the exact same argument. But how is this relating? I, I don't get where we're going. We're at an impasse here. Okay. We're, we have drawn a conclusion. Hey, Aaron, let's let's figure it out in the ring. Yeah. I would, I would love to fight you, Chris. Well, I would not like to fight you. <laughs> if I got you to the ground, I, I would be okay. It's but that reach. Striking, I'm done. I agree with both of you in a sense, but I don't think the examples that you've brought up, Chris, are actually defending your point in any way. For example, the Bible one doesn't work because the Bible describes violence. It doesn't propose it it describes the violence of the very sick society that it's trying to illustrate so that you can set up a scenario where there needs to be a change you know it's it's not violent for no reason it's it's deeply symbolized to display the very sick society that we have that we still have today and with the ufc i also don't know if that's the example that you would you would use to to defend your point because the ufc the reason why it is such a spectacle is because like what Aaron was kind of touching on is it is two people that have trained their whole lives for this very moment. And it's a, it's watching decision making in a moment where if you make the decision just a little bit too late or a little bit too early, you're going to be in, in trouble. And that's because it's all about watching fear unfold and people dealing with that very real fear in the moment. The reason why the UFC is so compelling to people like me and Aaron is because you get to potentially witness somebody overcome that human fear and be sort of superhuman in a moment. And so, so it's more than just violence. Um, and so we're, we're a bit off the rails of the movie we're supposed to be reviewing right now. But, <laughs> but, but bring it I – want, I want you guys to sort of conclude this – conversation before we wrap it up because it is an interesting one the, the what is the the question being asked here so we can lay this out what what is the argument about i don't think that the movies that they were watching informed their decisions i think that it definitely gave them ideas but the i the the act of going out and killing those people was something they were going to do regardless of whether or not they saw that movie I don't disagree with you I, you know um because i think there's a reference to education level in the movie, somebody pulls a book out, and that's you realize that that's the sum total of his life's education. Mm -hmm. uh, in yeah. fact, he was chased out of school. So was the gentleman that we referenced who was 
you know, snot was pouring out of his nose. There was no reason for him to go to school after he had buried his stepfather at 11 uh, for fear of assault or perhaps death. Um, so you That's found it every, right there. You know. That's it, it right there, Paul. You just yeah. nailed it because that's exactly what Aaron and Chris were, were fi- trying to figure out right there is Chris's example. The uneducated man at the bar who watches UFC is going to fight afterwards. The educated man knows what he's watching. The uneducated man will watch the Godfather and go start a genocide. The educated man can just sit there and watch the Godfather and, and know that it's not something that's going to change his person. So what I'm saying is that the top 1% should pay for the bottom 99 to get educated and get stimmies. Violence should only be seen by the top 1% of educated people. All violence should be banned from households, from the 99% of people who are not in the top percent of the educated people of the world. Those who commit violence do not get stimmies. (laughs) No, Stimmies. Mr. Sanders, Sanders, uh, Paul Jackson, New York Times, you will be running in 2024 when uh, President Biden sees sees the White House. Um, (laughs) Should we wrap this up? I think so. What's this movie that we're... I'm missing prelims, Chris. Uh, uh, One one more scene. One scene that we can't not bring up and then we'll end it is when the man who's running for parliament is practicing his speech while Obama is on the TV. He's looking at Obama to learn how to fool the people in in his articulation. That's fucking magic filmmaking. Now, now Chris, now you listen here. Okay. Okay. Is that supposed Hmm. to be Obama? (laughs) (laughs) Well, a little bit. That's now. Why can't we be, uh, drinking the water. <laughs> well, uh, the water. The American <laughs> people should not be subject <laughs> to violence and to Indonesian hate. So I propose that we put together a task force to now. Get Chris, I, I don't think you're getting my voice right. Miles, we're right. right here in Jakarta. If you look off your right. We've officially devolved. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fucking off, off the rails. Left. We have single origin coffee, single origin coffee. Oh. Welcome to Jakarta. Oh my gosh. So, Yosh, what's our next film? <laughs> uh, 